Welcome to Macintosh and Mod. Haven't seen what? The podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And today we watched Cruel Intentions. Two vicious step-siblings of an elite Manhattan prep school make a wager to deflower the new headmaster's daughter before the start of term. This movie's not good. Why did you make me watch this? It's so important. <laughs> How? How did this achieve cultural relevance and importance of such magnitude? Okay, look, we didn't all have like crazy, awesome, unrestricted internet. This was like our porn, okay? It's really bad, though. It's not great. But also, like, this is how we get like shows like Gossip Girl. I mean, like, I'm watching this for the first time in probably 20 years. I'm like, Oh my God, so much of Gossip Girls is literally just this movie, which is, I mean, Gossip Girls garbage, but it's such fun garbage. I guess maybe fine, but this movie isn't just bad to me. It's also infuriatingly gross. (laughs) It does not hold up. But like in no way does it hold up. (laughs) Oh, I don't know about that. I don't know. The, The longer I watch this, the more that I went, this movie is meant to be an update slight satire of an old story Mm -hmm. and it doesn't achieve any of those things it's not really that funny other than some really great sight gags and a couple of really good actors and a lot of it boils down to that our writer director is not good at his job no i don't disagree with any of that here what i'm saying is that the premise still holds up and that this is a stupid juvenile high school sexual thing like that's fine they're gonna probably remake it again here any minute um to give it the euphoria treatment which also we don't get euphoria without having a film like this as well we just don't but the the film as it is does not hold up in that it is very dated um there there's nothing progressive about the characters and that is unfortunate yeah, I don't know. I think it's it's not just that it's problematic because oh. we've we've watched other movies that we've talked about. Something like I think of I Shot Andy Warhol, which is incredibly problematic, but only because of the context in which we're in now. Sure. But still has this really interesting statement and thought process. This to me feels like the grossest cash grab of all time. Mm. It just feels like a pure cash grab and lascivious. 30-something dudes wanting to make a movie about teenagers. Making making this movie this way today? Absolutely. Back then, no. I feel like this is kind of like, well, American Pie is the outlandish sexual teen comedy film that, you know, ends in a a happy, like, sweet bow. This is going to be the provocative sexual teen movie. Because that's what it's really trying to go for. Everyone is very overwrought and absurd and just dripping with fake ennui. And then we have a clown. And when I say clown, I'm talking about Selma Blair because in this film, she is a clown. Yes. And she is the best part of this movie. Like in watching it now, I'm like, she's the best part. Truly. I mean, it's not a good movie. I'm not trying to say it's it's good. But having been like, that was a good movie back when it came out. I get it. I get it. I'm aware. See, I watch this and go, I don't think this was ever a good movie, period. 
I mean, there are attractive people in it. And like, again, this was a part of our quote unquote porn. Hi. <sighs> yep. I'm mad at this movie. I'm pretty mad at this movie. All right. Well, the budget was $10.5 million for this movie. Mm-hmm. That doesn't shock me in the least. Nope. It globally grossed $76 million. This mm-hmm. is catnip. Of course, it was going to make a ton of money. And it was shot over six weeks. Okay. That's, <laughs> that's pretty reasonable. They did not fuck around with this movie at all. They, they got shit done. I mean, that's great. These people had other gigs. I'm pretty sure this is still during Buffy time. So, yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. So... I got a hiatus. This is how much time we have to film this. Let's get it done. Look, that's fine, but it shows all over the quality of the filmmaking. And maybe that's just who's making the movie, Mm -hmm. but the whole thing feels just slapped together. It's definitely got that feel simply because of like the edit, but I I don't. This is a straight to video release if it comes out anytime in like 2005 forward. Well, the sequels definitely were. Well, yes. <laughs> but just like everything about this feels so just shoved together for no good reason. Mm-hmm. And some of the trivia here, it, it implies further things on that. Although there's not that much trivia about this movie. So. Yeah. All right. Let's start with our writing. First, we're going to mention a gentleman named Chaudelot de la Clos. The writer of Les Liaisons Dangerouses, or Dangerous Liaisons, which has had so many different adaptations, Mm -hmm. dating all the way back to 1959. There is a new French version set in high school that is coming out right now. I want to see this now. Yes. Um, And it is now it is very explicitly Les Liaisons Dangerouses. Yeah. Um, so it is It is not just this Cruel Intentions remake, but mm-hmm. um, look, the guy wrote something that lasted into perpetuity for people who wanted to make horny movies. <laughs> I mean, in 1988, two movies about the same story came out in the same year. Okay. Dangerous Liaisons and Valmont are both yeah. the same story. So our writer and director... Is a gentleman by the name of Roger Cumble. Before this, writing-wise, he wrote National Lampoon's Senior Trip and Provocateur. After this, he wrote Cruel Intentions 2 and the failed pilot for Cruel Intentions. Uh, there was a TV pilot bringing back Catherine, Sarah Michelle Gellar's character, uh, in 2016. It did not make it past that pilot stage. Mm-hmm. Coming up, he has a new romance that he is writing called Beautiful Disaster, starring none other than Dylan Sprouse. Oh, yeah. Dylan's making some interesting choices. What do we think of the writing of this movie? The writing is trash. It's It's so bad. Like, it's trash. It's reaching for the Kevin Williamson creek speak of, of teenagers who aren't stupid, but... They're just, they just come off as vapid. And there's, there's an element that where that's just supposed to be true. Like Catherine being vapid makes total sense, but Sebastian shouldn't be. And Annette shouldn't be. And all the adults who aren't in the film very much, but I think it would have been more interesting if they had been, they also come off as complete idiots, which I always find annoying. Like one of my favorite things about the film Juno is that the adults are very present 
and they are not dumb. They boiled these characters down to single common denominators. They're not even two-dimensional. They're one-dimensional. I mean, there's nothing to these characters other than a stereotype. And I think it's actually a real problem to play Catherine off as vapid because she's not. She's cold and calculating. But we only get flashes of it because the writing's so fucking terrible. Like, at what point is Sarah Michelle Gellar expected to be able to act any of this dialogue because she has, has to say a bunch of garbage in a sentence together and they have to drop an F word every two seconds? Because then it's provocative. Yeah, yeah. I hate provocative for the sake of being provocative. It well, is. That's that's what this movie is trying to do. Yeah, and I, it's garbage to me. <laughs> oh, oh, it's done horribly. I, I don't disagree. Like, th- this is crap. But again, there is that that using the F word over and over again with people who are supposed to be teenagers for the shock value. And again, we don't get some of the things that have come without this film. I, I, I it still to me doesn't justify the poor writing of the film, though. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't I, I can't get past how bad it is mm-hmm. to then go, well, there's some influence on these things. no. I feel like this was an example of a movie that told you how not to do that so people figured out how to make something better. Because mm-hmm. if you want to go on the provocative route, to me, the movies that do that well are ones that do it visually, not through writing. They're ones who do it with the writing is spare and you're using audacious visual things to get something like that across. Mm-hmm. And you have a point and a purpose. Yeah, you're doing shock value, but to what end? What are you actually saying with this story? Like, you didn't even bother to investigate what the real idea behind Dangerous Liaisons is. I mean, I, I don't disagree. I just think there's nothing here. The movie's not good. <laughs> no, it's not good. I completely agree. I know. We're just going to argue about how not good it is, though. Yes. But again, I'm going to continue to hammer the point. But like, we just wouldn't get some of the things that are good and that we do like without this film having existed because it it ripped the band-aid off of a lot of this i i wonder if some of those things aren't that great either okay well we wouldn't have riverdale which as much as we (laughs) shit on it we love it as much as we shit on it we fucking love it we love to hate it (laughs) yeah we shit on it because it has shitty writing but it also has some really great fun things So we would not have shit like that. We wouldn't have half the crap on the CW that people love without this. I will. I am going to agree with you on something when we get further along in this episode Mm -hmm. where there is something good that comes out of this. Well, and, you know, this cast has done very well for themselves. Oh, come on. Don't ruin my don't ruin my tease. Um, It was obvious. (laughs) The original script was written within 12 days. Of course it was. It's oh an my. adaptation. He didn't do anything original. Jesus fuck, man. No, no. He he apparently saw Todd Salonza's Welcome to the Dollhouse. Welcome to the Dollhouse is a cult classic with yes, Heather I'm aware. It's amazing. It's weird, but it's amazing. Yeah, no, I'm aware. And he decided that, ooh, that's so edgy and interesting. And again, Todd Salonza is a guy who has actually thought out the deeper implications of the story he's telling Mm -hmm. because he's looking at suburban life and the absurdity of it Mm -hmm. this guy enjoyed just the shock value and said what if i took dangerous liaisons and put it in high school 
That was his entire concept. Well, that's not a horrible concept. Yes, but he didn't think any further than that. <laughs> he did not make an adaptation. He just placed he it's he just put like a skin over the original game. Literally, that's all he fucking did. No, I get that. I'm not trying to defend him at all. And then dumbed it down even further. Like Ugh, this movie makes me angry. It really does. Well, he did that, and what he what he really wants based on this is he really should have skinned the misanthrope. <laughs> that would have been a better version of this. For fuck's sake, wouldn't have though? Oh, I know. That's the better version of this. <sighs> Fun fact: in college, we had to do a set design for the misanthrope, and I set mine in a present day version of the real world house. That's not it bad. It was awesome. <laughs> it's not bad. Uh, originally there was a scene shown where Sebastian actually hit Catherine, justifying Ronald's actions at the end of the film. However, the dialogue did not fit Sebastian's character, so they decided to just leave it ambiguous. I'm fine with that. Uh, I I, I mean, it's completely in keeping with Catherine's character that she would just lie. And it's in keeping with Ronald's character. So from what we were shown to, um, like, how how dare you hit her? To be indignant. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But just like, just the thought that you you miss the point of your own lead bad character who would totally make shit up and be conniving and manipulative because it's very obvious that she's lying. Mm-hmm. And you were like, well, no, she should he should hit her. And it's like, you made the dumbest choice possible. <laughs> Cumble also had originally written the ending where Annette keeps Valmont's journal to herself and announces her cruel intentions to emotionally blackmail Catherine and have her do all sorts of crazy things with the threat of revealing the journal. See, and and that happens in so many other TV shows, um, which is great if you have a longer story. Um, I think for the purposes of this film, I think it's fine that we're just like, oh, you're fucked now. <laughs> Subtlety, not his strong suit. Nah, I, I'm fine with, with that end of just like everybody everywhere that you've been lying to now knows. And there, there's no hiding behind this. To which, you know, the TV pilot was going to be, and now she's back to wreak havoc on everyone. Yeah. Which I probably would have watched and enjoyed. I'm sure. not going to lie. I'm yeah. not going to lie. Uh-huh. But again, that makes sense for an episodic serial television show. Mm-hmm. Because then you can have fun. You can explore these characters. You can get into it a little bit. I mean, that's what I've enjoyed about. I, I, don't, I don't typically watch teen drama. It's just mm-hmm. not ever been a genre I was interested in. But after watching Riverdale, yes, there's so much we hate about that show. But what is fascinating is the amount of time they've had to explore different facets of these characters. And when it works, it's really interesting and intriguing. Mm. You throw Riverdale into an hour and 37 minute movie? Yeah. It would be hot fucking garbage <laughs> like this. Also, what title could have been better? The original name of this movie was Cruel Inventions. Oh, God. But the test audience thought it was a sci-fi movie, so they had to change it. Yeah, Cruel Inventions is like your update to Frankenstein. That's what dangerous the fuck does that mean? I know. Oh, my God. All right, well, let's keep the Cumble train going. Mm-hmm. Because he's also our director. Okay. This is his debut feature. After this, he directed Cruel Intentions 2, The Sweetest Thing, Just Friends, Furry Vengeance, so many different episodes of television, and After We Collided. Coming soon, he will be directing the aforementioned Beautiful Disaster. Mm. 
what do we think of his directing of this movie? Oh, it's awful. It's very bad. Ha. The tone the tones are always uneven between between either the people in the scene or from scene to scene. It nothing matches. He really thought he was making a period drama set in 1999, didn't he? Mm-hmm. He really thought he was getting away with that. And he has no clue how to how to deal with these actors. Mm-hmm. He has no clue how to have them approach the scene at any given moment. Mm-hmm. There is no consistency between not not just even between scenes, literally within scenes there is no consistency. Like it's it is bonkers how just messy and slapdash and ridiculous it's all put together and constructed. Yeah. And it ruins every bit of investment in the movie. Like cuz sometimes you're like you know what? This is kind of a fun satire. And no, it gets really fucking dark all of a sudden. And then it's back to being silly and snide. And, you know, then half the time they're saying shit that just makes you hate all of these people. Oh, yeah. It's not good. It's not like, good. It just keeps going all over the place. And at a certain point, you just go, my dude, pick one thing and go with it. Mm-hmm. Because there's been plenty of bad movies we watched where they were like, well, look, at least they just went with what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Right. I I really think he wants to make a satire. He wants to comment on the modern high school slash college vibes of all of this stuff. And he wants to do it through the lens of this novel. Then why didn't you just fucking do that? Mm-hmm. Why did we have to throw in all of this other stuff? And you just go, man, this is it's it's a disaster of a movie especially from a directing standpoint. The writing's yeah. bad to begin with, but like he doesn't help it at all. No. He it doesn't elevate or fix anything. It's it's a it's bad. It is super duper bad. We'll get into some trivia about like design choices and shit and mm. it's both well yeah, that's pretty obvious, but then that also makes you go, "Oh my god, y'all had like no actual ideas about what to do with this movie you went with literally the most basic choice this film is you know a student film at best like i'm gonna learn how to direct and write there are granted very talented high schoolers Mm -hmm. who participate in film programs who could make a better movie than this oh sure with their iphone at this point Mm -hmm. but that's fine like this guy did not have and we've, I mean, we've seen some fabulous people's first time at bat go amazingly well. Yeah. Because all the ingredients were working. This is, a, this is an example of like, you have a fabulous cast. There is no bad cast member in this movie. And this is hot, hot fucking garbage. When you look at the script and then the directing, uh-uh, no, just no. Well, and it, and it, and it really comes back to that. It's not so much that you can't make this good or you don't have the resources or stuff to do it. It's that you haven't thought any of this through. Yeah. You literally just have an elevator pitch and you made an entire movie based on that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, Cumble may have had some assistance from producer Neil H. Moritz, who also worked on I Know What You Did Last Summer. Okay. In fact, he was instrumental in getting the two stars of that movie into this movie. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. And Moritz also put it in his contract that the film could have no less than an R rating. 
and Columbia agreed. I mean, I'm I'm fine with all of that. I mean, the point was we're going to make a sexy teen film and it we're we're not going to compromise. Okay, I'm fine I'm fine with that. Um but you didn't do a good job. You did such a terrible job of that. Your your idea to get that R rating was, well, let's drop every expletive known to man and put people in the most suggestive positions ever. Mm-hmm. That was it. Instead of, you know, making a story and then naturally leading into wildness and then dropping a few expletives because that's how people would actually talk. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to the one nice thing I can say about this movie. Okay. Which is its cast. Cast is great. Uh, we start with Sarah Michelle Geller playing Catherine Metui. Before this, she did a lot of commercials and television, was in Swan's Crossing and All My Children on TV, and then starred in I Know What You Did Last Summer. Then she starts Buffy the Vampire Slayer, was in Scream 2. We talked about her little role in that. Mm-hmm. Small Soldiers, She's All That, and Simply Irresistible. After this, she was on Angel for some episodes for Crossing It Over, of course. Harvard Man, Scooby-Doo, Scooby-Doo 2, Monsters Unleashed, The Grudge from 2004, Southland Tales, The Grudge 2, TMNT, Ringer on television, The Crazy Ones on television, and The Cruel Intentions TV pilot. Coming soon, she's been taking a break for a little while. She's going to be in Clerks 3. What do we think of Sarah Michelle Gellar in this movie? She is doing her damnedest to try to sell this. Yes. She truly is. Sarah Michelle Gellar is a fabulous actress. She, I mean, she's amazing on Buffy. Um, I really liked her in Simply Irresistible, too. And she was adorable in Scooby-Doo. She's great. I would like to see her have some adult roles comparable to what, like, Reese Witherspoon has done with her career since this. Because she's certainly capable and and worthy she takes what is a horribly written character and quite a few times makes the moment work she sells the actual moment which is highly impressive when you're dealing with a character written as badly as this one is Mm -hmm. it takes a lot (laughs) yeah to be able to find those moments where it's like oh no i believe this for Catherine, and for the most part i believe her character she goes over the top at moments but for a lot of it, she she is, I mean, just an exposition machine on the page. Mm-hmm. It's literally all they give her to do. But she manages to twist and turn it and play the moment and sell a character that's actually more than just, y- you know, a shitster. There is a reason and a logic behind her doing this, and it is that she has to always be Miss Perfect because that's what's expected of her. And she loves, loves fucking people over when they misjudge Mm -hmm. her. And you buy that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You amaze me. Eat me, Sebastian. It's all right for guys like you in court to fuck everyone. But when I do it, I get dumped for innocent little twits like Cecile. God forbid I exude confidence and enjoy sex. Do you think I relish the fact that I have to act like Mary Sunshine 24-7 so I can be considered a lady? I'm the Marsha fucking Brady of the Upper East Side, and sometimes I want to kill myself. So there's your psychoanalysis, Dr. Freud. Now tell me, are you in or are you out? 
So I that's where you get a ton of credit for her. She's again, nobody is going to give a good per, a great performance or a good performance in this movie, but people are going to mitigate damage with their performances in this movie. Next, we have Ryan Philippe playing Sebastian Valmont. I'm not kidding. This is a character that both John Malkovich and Colin Firth have played on screen. Mm-hmm. And this is Ryan Philippe doing it. Before this, he was on One Life to Live, then in Crimson Tide. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, White Squall, Nowhere, I Know What You Did Last Summer, 54, and Playing by Heart. After this, he was in The Way of the Gun, Antitrust, Gosford Park, Igby Goes Down, Crash from 2004, Flags of Our Fathers, Stop Loss, MacGruber, The Lincoln Lawyer, Damages on Television, Shooter on Television, and he's now doing a whole bunch of kind of mid-grade movies and TV stuff, but you mm-hmm. know, he's, he's doing his thing. He's acting. Yeah. What do we think of Ryan Philippe in this movie? I think he's actually doing pretty good. Again, I think his character is written slightly better than Catherine's, and he's given it everything he's got. Yeah, unfortunately for him. Mm-hmm. And this is this is just him as an actor. He doesn't have quite as much as some other actors that are even in this movie. Sure. That's that's not a bad thing. He's very good in a specific role. Mm-hmm. I, I remember watching him in The Way of the Gun and that movie being one that I just barely paid attention to. And even in Crash, which as frustrating as a movie as that was, the acting was very, very good. He is very much a pretty face. <laughs> And he's not the most, he's kind of a little mumbly and he's kind of a little statuey in what some he, ways. Which I, I don't hate. What I do like about him is he does the schemey part of Sebastian very well. And that moment where he's like, fuck me. And Helen is very enjoyable. Sebastian. Oh, fuck me. And Helen! Sweet pea! God, I've missed you! Those moments are great. It's just that, and and again, the tonal shifts are really what's doing him in there. It plays against what he's good at. Mm -hmm. Because I think as an actor, he's one of those actors who, if you want him to do those hard left turn transitions, you need to give him more time on screen to transform. Mm -hmm. He can't just instantly cut in and out of the moment. Sure. Just as an actor, that's not his thing. <laughs> and so when you have to have him jump wildly from tonal shift to tonal shift, it doesn't always follow very well. Yeah. In those more serious moments, sometimes it works. Sometimes it really doesn't. <laughs> yeah. But also, this is still really early in his career. I mean, he started as a baby. <laughs> yeah. Out of the big name actors in this movie, he is probably the weakest. But that's not saying that he's bad. He's got a lot to try to deal with in this movie. During the final confrontation with Annette, Reese Witherspoon actually slapped him while they were deeply in- invested in the scene. Mm. They were dating when they started this movie, so they were together. After the scene, Ryan was so deeply in the moment still that after the scene was cut, he had to leave set to throw up. His emotions were just so high after that scene. Mm. And Cumble, being Really great director just decided to keep that in because what a great moment. I mean, I think it's fine. I know. There's some other things that they talk about of this set. And it's just like, this isn't the worst thing I've ever heard, but it just sounds. I think it really comes down to they were moving so quickly that nobody thought about the fact that, hey, maybe we should take a minute and let people, I don't know, deal with their emotions. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, 
the actual shit going on on screen right now. <sighs> All right. Next, we have Reese Witherspoon playing Annette Hargrove. Before this, she was in The Man in the Moon, A Far Off Place, SFW, Freeway, Fear, and Pleasantville. After this, oh boy, she was in Election, Best Laid Plans, American Psycho, Friends on TV, Little Nikki, Legally Blonde, The Importance of Being Earnest, Sweet Home Alabama, Legally Blonde 2, Red, White, and Blonde, Vanity Fair, Walk the Line, Just Like Heaven, Rendition, Four Christmases, Monsters vs. Aliens, How Do You Know, Water for Elephants, This Means War, Mud, Wild, The Good Lie, Inherent Vice, Sing, Home Again, Big Little Lies on TV, The Morning Show on Little TV, Little Fires Everywhere, and Sing 2. Coming soon, she will be in Legally Blonde 3, and she will be playing Tinkerbell. She's fabulous. She's the most realistic actor in this whole fucking movie. She is, because she plays the character as someone who just happens to have convictions that are different than the people around her. Yes. And but sh- at which so many other people would play that as I'm better than you. Well, and she doesn't. She's just like this is this is my this is my edict. This is how I'm going to approach my life. They would have and Roger Cumble, I think, definitely wrote that character that way. Mm-hmm. And she did her fucking damnedest to not do that. And that makes her the most successful performance in the movie. Oh, absolutely. Like. And she's, I mean, she's arguably become the most successful actor from this movie. Well, yes. I mean, she she obviously went on the to. The fault of no others. Like, that's not shitting on the other people. She's just really, like, blazed a trail for herself. Yeah. I mean, the fact that this was the follow-up to Pleasantville and then she does Election. Like, mm-hmm. that three-movie run there. That. And that movie run right there is like, I want y'all to know I'm not just pretty blonde girl. She's good. And, and she's good and different in all three of those movies. She is. And then, uh, I then mean, you get and, to throw in Legally Blonde. And then you get Legally Blonde, which is iconic. And yes. that could have easily become, oh, she's just one note. Then she just walked the line. Wins a fucking Oscar. Earned. And now all of her TV production work, I mean, she owns Hello Sunshine. It's amazing. Like she, like, I, I remember listening to an interview with her where they're like, how did you get into this? She's like, well, I kept telling people you, you need to option this book because she's a very avid reader. And they'd be like, no, nah, I don't think so. And she's like, fine, I'm going to do it. And then she would go talk to people like, how much did you make for this? I need to know how much you made for this movie. Because I'm going into negotiations on my next thing and I need to know because I should be making that kind of money. And that's like, she became a boss bitch in the best way. I love her. I'm, I'm a big Reese Witherspoon fan. No, it's, she gets the best performance in this whole movie. She does. She's, she really cause, does. Because she's the best. Despite a number of reports, she was not pregnant while filming this movie. She was pregnant during the press tour, but her daughter Ava was born a full year after the movie came out. Mm-hmm. So um, she was not pregnant at the time. Who could have been better? Their original choice was Dawson's Creek star Katie Holmes. I don't hate that. This was the studio's choice. I understand, especially at that time, pick like having her be a name for consideration. You couldn't have her with Ryan Felipe or Sarah Michelle Gellar. Cumble it- did not think she had the presence for the role. Exactly. She could have played the Selma Blair role. But I don't think she has the comedic chops for that. Yeah. She's Reese Witherspoon had a presence. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Ryan Felipe was already signed on. So Cumble okay. asked about his then girlfriend, Reese Witherspoon. Mm-hmm. And here's Cumble quoting about how this went down. Quote, so basically, we took Reese out to dinner to get her drunk, and we ended up getting drunk. And I literally got down on my knees and begged her, please, it'll be 15 days. You'll be great. Unquote. Not wrong. <laughs> like, no, I, I, I just... <sighs> Every story I hear about this man makes me think that he's not, he's not a creeper. He's just... he's just a hot fucking mess of a human. Well, again, this is his first thing. The stakes are so high for him. And he doesn't know how to go about getting, like, he just doesn't know, like, what's expected and what's appropriate. So, like, I get, like, let's, like, let's get buddy-buddy, and maybe if she's drunk, she'll commit to it, <laughs> and then she'll do it. Like, I'm, I want to, like, not knowing anything else about this man, I want to try to be somewhat generous, not thinking, like, there's anything untoward happening as far as I know, there are no reports of any wrongdoing. It's just the wildly weird, inappropriate approach mm-hmm. that bothers me. Yeah. It's just, it's a little weird. <laughs> All right. Finally, for our main cast, we have Selma Blair as Cecile Caldwell. She's amazing and incredible and a wonder. Before this, she was in In and Out and Can't Hardly Wait. After this, she was in Down to You, Zoe Duncan, Jack and Jane on television, Legally Blonde, The Sweetest Thing, A Guy Thing, Hellboy, A Dirty Shame, In Good Company, The Fog from 2005, Lies and Alibis, Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, Kath and Kim on TV, Anger Management on TV. She played Kris Jenner in American Crime Story, and she was in After We Collided. What do we think of Selma Blair in this movie? She's my favorite part of the movie. She's so fucking funny. Because, like, she's written to be a dumbass. Like, that's just how she's written. Like, she's just a naive idiot of a girl. Yes. That's how she's written. But Selma plays her in a way where it's like, yeah, she's very innocent, very naive. She and But she wants to learn. Like, she does want to become cool and popular and she does want to be sexual she does want to like she's game for a lot of things so she doesn't realize how naive she actually is to what's happening yeah and so she plays it as though she's a child yes which in if in one way is a little heartbreaking but in another way is what makes it so hilarious because she's just like playing around having fun and like Catherine's like idiot like what the fuck is wrong with you because they are so beyond jaded that would make me a slut wouldn't it Cecile everybody does it it's just that nobody talks about it so it's like a secret society that's one way of looking at it So part of me wants this movie to be set in college, Mm -hmm. not high school, because nowadays when we deal with the high school story, and again, that's a that's a byproduct of the times, right? 1999, you get away with saying these are high schoolers because, of course, they're not. But now it's just like, that's just still gross. Like, yeah, it's just not. 
good. Gross. Not so good. instead, if you set this in college, but she's doing the exact same thing. Exactly. Oh my God, it's even funnier. Because it's like, this girl is 18 and she acts like she's 12. Because that's how she comes off in this fucking movie. Yeah, she does act like she's 12. And it's just, it's very entertaining. And of course, after she has sex, she's like, her telling a prude is is 100, 1,000 percent what I have seen similarly naive girls turn into just the attitude they adopt instantly (laughs) after their first sexual experience is just like, okay, now. Perfect. And it adds to the humor that she is five years older than Sarah Michelle Gellar and three years older than Ryan Phillippe. I mean, that's just a fun like. It's just, it's just fun. The fact that you're watching, it's like you are 27 and you're playing the emotional equivalent of like a 10 year old. Yeah, pretty much. And not in a like, not in an icky way, just in a this is fucking hilarious way. It's it's like stepbrothers humor of like these are 40 year old men who are acting like they're 16. Oh, those guys are acting like they're 14. But yeah. yeah. Oh, she's so fucking funny. For legal reasons, Roger Cumble was required to ask all actresses auditioning for Cecile how old they were, because Cecile and Sebastian have a sex scene, so mm-hmm. yes, we have to confirm that you're over 18. Quote, so we were bringing in all of these people, and they were all good, but I remember Selma came in, and I said, how old are you? And she goes, in Cecile's voice, how old are you? And she was so obnoxious, and I couldn't get it out of my head, unquote. I love that. <laughs> I really do. I think that's hilarious. She had it nailed from the moment she walked in the audition. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, let's talk about some R puns. R puns. Random people of note. There's a lot. We have Louise Fletcher playing Helen Rosemond, Valmont's aunt. This is Nurse Ratched from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. <laughs> Joshua Jackson playing Blaine Tuttle. It's Charlie from Mighty Ducks and Pacey from Dawson's Creek. I I knew he was in this, but I forgot that he had blonde hair. And it made me laugh so hard when I saw him on screen. He's doing a very good job with the worst written character in the film. Mm-hmm. He gives this character some actual personality when they literally just use him as an excuse to say homophobic slurs. Yeah. Like he's not even the butt of a joke. It's just so they can use slurs. And it's just like, wow, guys. Wow. <sighs> Eric Mabius playing Greg McConnell. He had runs on Ugly Betty and the L Word. He was also in Welcome to the Dollhouse, um, which I guess had to be how he got cast in this. He is now part of a Hallmark series of movie mysteries about postal detectives called Signed, Sealed, Delivered. Sean Patrick Thomas playing Ronald Clifford. Uh, he was one of the leads in Save the Last Dance. He also had a role in Barbershop. He's great. Swoozy Kurtz playing Dr. Greenbaum. She was mentioned before in The World According to Garp as an Arpon, but she plays an incredibly similar character in 1988's Dangerous Liaisons. I, I like that they have a person from the original. It's a fun nod. Mm-hmm. Christine Baranski playing Bunny Caldwell. Oh my God. That's when you just get a ringer, right? Like, yeah. Who can we get that's the most snooty upper crust woman that we can put in this role? I know, mm-hmm. Christine Baranski. <laughs> I love that woman. The tipping point in getting her to sign on to the movie was the three day shooting schedule for her. 
and that her daughters were such huge fans of Buffy, they were so excited their mom might work with Sarah Michelle Gellar. That's adorable. <laughs> Elena Reed Hall as the nurse at the nursing home. She played Rosalie Holloway on 227 and was Olivia on Sesame Street. Tara Reed playing Marcy Greenbaum. It's Melody Valentine. <laughs> Look, Melody Valentine is a treasure and she was amazing. And I was like, this makes me rethink Tara Reed. Oh, yeah. Hip T. Lee playing May Lee. Uh, she played the same role in the television pilot, which I love. Oh, okay. But she was a refugee from Central Vietnam. After the war, she got a casting call and was she, she was cast opposite Tommy Lee Jones in Oliver Stone's third part of his Vietnam trilogy, Heaven and Earth. Mm. But she only acted a few more times and wound up running a Vietnamese restaurant in Venice, California, until her passing in 2017. Mm. And finally, Charlie O'Connell playing Court Reynolds. This is the younger brother of Jerry O'Connell. He also played Jerry's brother, Colin Mallory, on season four of Sliders. Mm -hmm. Because why not put both O'Connells on a television Of course not. (laughs) Why not? Why not? Why don't you do that? All right, let's do a little bit of trivia. Trivia. As an avid book collector, Sarah Michelle Gellar owns an early edition of La Liaison Dangereux. Mm -hmm. Per costume designer Denise Wingate, she's all that in Melrose Place, Cecile's red hoodie was meant to invoke Red Riding Hood. Again, these decisions are the lowest hanging fruit. Oh, yeah. She also deliberately made Valmont's wardrobe dark to contrast with Annette's lighter wardrobe. What would he do? Costume design. Like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Production designer John Gary Steele made sure any location they used where paint was allowed to be painted with dark colors. Listen to this quote. I see the movie as very much a tragedy. Since we are using a young cast, I didn't want it to feel like a young, bright teen film because it's not. It's very tragic. Everyone basically loses, unquote. These motherfuckers thought they were making something serious. Yeah, whatever. I mean, to give credit to this man, this was his production note. So this could have been his initial like design idea Mm -hmm. where he's pitching it. And if that's the case, I don't hate that, right? Like, okay, that's a cool, that's a cool concept, but. Your director didn't do fuck with that. Jeez. <laughs> uh, the Valmont townhouse interiors were done on sound stages in LA, while the exteriors were actually filmed in New York City. Okay. I don't know why you couldn't go on location. I guess because it would have cost more money and you wouldn't have had the, um, the six-week filming schedule that you made this movie under. I just want somebody, I want somebody involved in this production to be like, this is a total fucking cash grab, and we knew it from the beginning. Yeah, like, Okay, but, like, the six-week timetable is, like, we're going to get in, get out, and get this done. Like, I don't have a problem with any of that. But, like, it's just, it's not a good movie. Oh, my God. It's not a good movie. And then there is the kiss between Selma Blair and Sarah Michelle Gellar. Oh, yeah. Which put the movie on many sexiest movie lists. They were not meant to produce spit in the scene, but when someone noticed, they made them film it again to make it steamier. Cinematographer Theo Van Descent proclaimed it was, quote, beautiful unquote okay that's creepy yeah i don't like that no not even a little bit and again what is the purpose of that moment other than to have two women kissing on screen yeah pretty much i'm not saying that moment doesn't play well if you do it in a much more thoughtful telling of the story Mm -hmm. in a satire not at all i love the idea that Catherine's like i i'll have sex with anyone i don't fucking care Yeah. That's totally fine. 
it's just the yes but you didn't give a shit about any of that <laughs> the film was responsible for the massive uptick in sales of the verbs bittersweet symphony and its resurgence on pop radio yeah I, I vaguely remembered that it would have been around this time that that became like an actual radio hit, which is funny because then everybody was like, well, this came out like two or three years ago. <laughs> and because I wasn't seeing R-rated movies at the time, I had no idea. As Catherine exits the church at the end of the film, we see it is named the Rosemond Chapel. This is, of course, a reference to Valmont's aunt, Rosemond, who is also a prominent character in the original novel. Mm. And finally, the cover of the Seventeen magazine Sebastian hands to Catherine has none other than Jennifer Love Hewitt on the cover, Geller and Felipe's co-star in I Know What You Did Last Summer. Yeah. And that leads us to ratings. Ratings. Oh, for every movie, there's a specific Coke rating. Crosses. Coke crosses. Oh my God, the cocaine cross. Love it. That was one fantastic prop. I have to give them credit for that. And it was used to good effect. It paid it off. Oh yeah, it was it was a great little MacGuffin. It was fantastic. I'm into it. However, when that that fucking ending is both yes, good. I mean, from a story perspective, good. But the way it was done, where literally everybody's just like, "I'm shaking my head at you." Yeah, the shaking of the head was <laughs> was stupid. It was the dumbest fucking. The dean comes over, dumps it out, and doesn't just like reported or anything he just looks at her and gives her a stern shake of the head i think that's her father or her stepdad i don't i don't think that's the dean Wh whoever it is it's the dumbest fucking shot yeah that's not good oh my god it's one it's one coat cross for the coat cross itself and for the cast of this movie i'll, I'll give it a one and a half coat crosses one and a half i can't even give it for the influence because I feel like this was an influence only in the, oh, we can make a movie like that? Cool. But we won't do any of this because this is not good. That's what I try to figure out with this is I go, well, yes, it clearly had a big cultural impact. And I totally get that. But it just, even some of these other movies that we've seen that also had a similar cultural impact, it doesn't have any substance to back it up at all. Not really, no. Scream, on the other hand, has the same amount of impact, but has so much substance. Oh, complete agree. Complete and agree. that's where I just go, man, and, and adding on top of it that it's such a wasted opportunity with a story that is very good to set in this kind of setting. Again, now I would rather have it in college, right? But again, setting this in an environment where it's all very young people mm -hmm. makes total fucking sense. Instead of it being a bodice ripper period, Piece. I don't have yeah. a problem with that, but there's just no thought whatsoever. Yeah, I'm I'm giving it one and a half for the script and for its relevancy. Like that's where I'm at with it. Oh boy, I <laughs> look. Some I don't I don't often get strong opinions, but this one this one got me. This one made me angry. I, I like it. I like it when we have strong. But that ends our '90s grab bag series. Yeah, that was '99, so we're done with the '90s for now. For now, we'll we'll be back. There will be lots of '1990s coverage because there's so many movies I haven't seen. So many, so many. But next, it is time to take another trip in the director series. Oh, okay. And this time, we're gonna talk about a gentleman who directed a movie, the movie that I think you have cited so often as was the best movie you have ever watched for this podcast. 
it is the best movie you have made me watch in the history of my knowing you, which is coming on 17 years. And we are going to explore further the films of masterful writer and director Billy Wilder. I'm so excited for this. Me too. There's a bunch of these movies that I have seen already that I know mm-hmm. are good and a whole bunch that I haven't. Okay. Well, I've only seen, I mean, I've only seen The Apartment, which is the film we were just talking about. Absolutely. But we're, this is going to be a fun series. We've got film noir. We've got courtroom drama. Mm-hmm. We've got just simple romance. I mean, we're going to go all over the place. We got wacky comedy coming too. <laughs> okay. The man did a little bit of everything and, um, Y'all, I had to cut this down. We couldn't fit all of the best picture nominees he made in his career into the series because that's how many nominations he got. Like the man, all of his movies are bangers. Every single one of them. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm really excited for this one because he's he's masterful. He's funny as hell, but he's also really can get really dramatic and dark with it too in a fun way. Um. I'm super excited for this one. Yeah, I I am too. I I'm exci- I'm excited to like one because my introduction to him has been fabulous, but also I know just the way people have talked about Billy Wilder, it's it should be fun. I'm I'm excited. So until next time, have a good movie. Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.